So we're back in 2 Corinthians. We still have one verse left to cover, and we're actually going to take three weeks to unpack this one verse. So no surprise there, right? You know me. This verse, thank you, is a Trinitarian benediction and blessing that Paul prays for the church in Corinth. And I want us to spend three weeks unpacking each phrase in this verse as it applies to each person in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because I want us to spend the first chunk of the year, okay, I don't know how long that chunk will be, you know me, we're going to spend the first chunk of the new year looking at God. I want us as a church family to turn our minds and turn our hearts to God. I want us to think deeply about who God is and what he is like. And so we're going to use these three Trinitarian phrases in 2 Corinthians 13, 14 to kind of function as a speed ramp to get us to our next series, which I've entitled Undomesticated. And in the Undomesticated series, we are going to look at the undomesticated attributes of God. I say undomesticated because it's easy for all of us to try to domesticate God and bring him down to our level, to bring him down to our way of thinking, what we think God should be like, to bring him down as if he could be tamed or as if he could be crammed neat and tidy into an Amazon shipping box and then be left on our doorstep. He can't, by the way. So we will spend some time looking at the undomesticated attributes of God. We will look at God's impassibility. Does God have emotions? We will look at his aseity. Does God depend on us in any way? We will look at his simplicity. Is God made up of parts? We will look at very simple questions like that. In addition to the new sermon series, we will also begin a new DVD series on Sunday nights called Union with Christ by Sinclair Ferguson. I hope you come out for this series. If you don't come out for Sunday night, I hope you come out for this one. It begins January 16th. I hope you come out because it will highlight the most real thing about you. Here's the most real thing about you, Christian, this morning. It's that you are in Christ right now. Christian, your identity above everything else, more than you are a millennial, more than you are a Dallas Cowboys fan, more than you are a Republican, more than you are a vegan, you just fill in the blank with whatever the thing is that we all tend to place our our identity into, more than any of that, you are in Christ There is one thing that is more real than all those other things and that it is being in Christ. So I hope you will join us on Sunday nights and come and find out who you really are. I think it will change your life. And so to kick off 2022, we're going to be looking at who God is and then who we are in Christ. 
We're just going to put our mouths up to the fire hydrant of who God is. And we're just going to drink. So I hope you're thirsty. So buckle up, y'all. But for now, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, where we will see this beautiful big idea of our sermon today. Grace whispers, I love you. I forgive you. You are mine. And that's really what Paul has been saying all along to this church in 2 Corinthians. He's been reminding this church of the heart of God, that they are loved, that they are forgiven, and that now they belong to God. And maybe that's what your heart needs to hear this morning. So go ahead and you can make your New Year's resolutions because even if you fail, and let's be honest, most of us will, right? Some of you have already failed. Some of you are going to start a Bible reading plan, and man, you didn't even get to it yesterday. Because even if you fail at all of your New Year's resolutions, you will still be loved, you will still be forgiven, and you will still belong to God. So you might want to tuck that into your heart because you're going to need it later this year. Some of you sooner rather than later. And you might even need it by Tuesday afternoon. 2 Corinthians 13, look at verse 14. Hear the word of the Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So this sermon is going to be like a refresher course for some of you in grace. This sermon is going to be a crash course in grace for some of you. Our first name here is grace, so we should know what that means, right? If you're a religious person this morning, you might be shocked. You might be offended. If you're a Christian who's struggling, you might leave here in awe and amazed at who God is. What a beautiful way to end Paul's letter here. Paul is praying all of God for all that they are. The grace of Jesus, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is what this church in Corinth desperately needed. And of all of the attributes of Jesus, think about this, of all of the attributes of Jesus, Paul highlights the grace of Jesus. He could have highlighted the mercy of Jesus. He could have highlighted the patience of Jesus. He could have highlighted the humility of Jesus. But he prays for them to experience the grace, the favor of Jesus, along with the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit. The Corinthians need all of God for all that was happening in their lives and in their church. They didn't need fog machines in their church services. They didn't need some cool drama group to perform. They didn't need some special music sung during the worship or during the offering. What they needed was all of God for all of their problems. And Paul knew that, so he praised this all of God blessing over them. And here's why. Recall what was happening in the church in Corinth. A group of false teachers that Paul calls super apostles had invaded the Corinthian church, and they were telling the Corinthians that 
They had to obey the Mosaic law, obey all the commandments in the Old Testament in order to be justified, in order to be declared righteous. So they were being taught a works-based righteousness by these false teachers where you had to earn God's favor. You had to earn God's love. You had to earn your way to his heart. And if you were good enough, and you did enough, and you prayed enough, and you read your Bible enough, and you served enough, then you might, might experience the grace of Jesus. The same thing was happening in the Galatian church that Paul wrote to. Here's what Martin Luther said about the Galatians, and it applies here in 2 Corinthians. He said this, It was as though Christ were a workman who had begun a building and left it for Moses to finish. That's what the super apostles were saying. Jesus began the building. He kind of made the way for us to get to God, but Moses needs to finish it. In other words, you must work your way to God. Now, in contrast to this, Paul brought the message of the free grace of God uh, to the church in Corinth. And that's how Paul began his letter, way back in chapter 1, verse 2, where he said this, at the very beginning, he said, grace to you and peace from God. So when Paul says right at the beginning of his letter, grace to you and peace from God, and as he prays for that grace at the end, Paul is pointing the Corinthian church to God's unmerited favor for people who clearly don't deserve it. Now, they were a mess. You read 1 Corinthians, you read 2 Corinthians, they, these people had problems. He's actually praying here that the Corinthians experience the very heart of God. So Paul is telling to Corinthians that they, as bad as they are, and listen, they were really bad, they can have peace in their hearts because of God's grace. And that's the pattern. God's favor leads to peace. God's favor, his grace flows down to people like us, sinners like us, and then we experience peace that all is well between us and God. And then, then we actually begin to live. We begin to relax and we start enjoying God. We start to laugh and dance more as we think about who we are in Christ. And so it looks like this. Instead of working for his love, grace comes, and then we get peace, and then we relax, and then we enjoy God. God's grace comes to us in Jesus, so we are at peace with God now. He's not mad at us anymore. Whew, right? And then we can begin to relax and to really enjoy God, that's the Christian life right there. The Christian life is not one of sweat and endurance. Oh, I just kind of try to make my way to God. The Christian life is one of grace comes, you get peace in your heart, and you're just like, ah, oh, man, this burden has lifted. I'm free. I can, I can laugh now. I can dance. I, I can enjoy God. Imagine that. Imagine if you spent 2020 and your New Year's resolution was, you know what, this year, I'm just going to enjoy God. That's pretty good. But notice that it's not get better and then grace comes and then peace and then you relax and enjoy God. It's not that. Listen, 
You won't ever receive grace and peace by doing more and just trying hard to be a better person. Grace has to find us. We don't find grace. Grace finds us spiritually blind and dead in our sin. Grace pursues us, chases us down. We were just singing it. Kicks down walls and climbs over mountains or whatever the lyrics are to that song. Chases us down, seeks the down and out. Grace, in contrast to us, grace loves to love the unlovable, which is why grace is a God thing, isn't it? As Preston Sprinkle says, grace is more than just leniency and unconditional acceptance. Divine grace is God's relentless and loving pursuit of his enemies who are unthankful, unworthy, and unlovable. Grace is not just God's ability to save sinners, but God's stubborn delight in his enemies. Yes, even the creepy ones. Grace means that despite our filth, despite the sewage running through our veins, despite our odd addiction to food, drink, sex, porn, pride, self, money, comfort, and success, God desires to transform us into real ingredients of divine happiness. God doesn't just want to save us. He actually wants to be with us. He doesn't just love us. God actually likes us. So God removes his royal robes and steps down from his throne. Grace actually seeks out the weirdos and the winos and the freaks and the fallen and the misfits and even the uptights. Grace seeks out people like us who could never climb up or even stand in God's presence. That's what grace does. Grace reminds us that God doesn't merely save his enemies. He actually stubbornly delights in them. Isn't that amazing? God stubbornly delights in you as you stubbornly walk away from him, right? He stubbornly delights in you because you're in his son. Grace doesn't have a leash. It has no limits. When grace encounters a sinner, God doesn't yank on the chain in order to rein grace back in because grace cannot be reined back in. God doesn't pull back on grace and say, not so fast, don't go there. I don't affiliate with those kind of people. Grace runs wild. Grace has no leash because grace found you. <laughs> grace found you. I mean, you were way out there unlovable, sewage running through your veins. And God said, that one belongs to me. And he just sicked grace on you. Go get them. Grace seeks out sinners. Grace pursues God's enemies, those who are ungrateful, unworthy, unlovable, undeserving, unqualified, and unwanted. Grace goes to the rebels and the misfits and the scoundrels and the ragamuffins and the porn stars and the suicide bombers and the homeschool moms and the goody two-shoes and the Awana champions and the Pharisees and the churchgoers. Grace is saving all kinds of sinners, religious and proud and wicked and perverse. 
And so we have to ask ourselves when we encounter grace like this is like, who is going to love us and who is going to welcome us like Jesus does? No one. Grace is shocking and grace is scandalous, but it's what makes the gospel good news. Grace whispers, I love you, I forgive you, you're mine. Grace doesn't whisper condemnation or shame or guilt. Grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus, which Paul mentions in verse 14, always whispers, you are loved You are forgiven, you are adopted, you are safe, and you are clean. So, if you want peace in your heart, if you want to learn to rest and relax, if you really want to enjoy God this year, listen, you cannot fetch your peace from your sanctification or how well you are doing. Let me say that again, because this is what we tend to do. You cannot get your peace from how good you've been. How faithful you've been with your quiet time. You cannot get your peace from how holy you've been, how sanctified you've been. You can only get true peace from the whisper of grace. That's how the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind. True peace flows from the free, unmerited favor of God in Christ and not your obedience. Let me say that again. True peace flows from the free favor of God in Christ and not from your obedience. It flows from the whisper of grace. And this alone will quiet and still the clamoring voices of condemnation that accuse us daily, and it will quiet and still the clamoring voice that says, you're such a good Christian. You love Jesus so much. So here's what Paul is saying in verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with y'all. No strings attached, no footnotes, no iTunes user agreement to agree to. No, prove you are not a bot by selecting all pictures with a crosswalk in order to get access to God. Thank God, right? Who's tired of those? If those go away in 2022, I'll be a happy man. No, proving you're not a bot to get to God. No strings attached. Just the free grace of God for all who would believe. Grace means you are free, Christian. You are forgiven, You are redeemed, and God is not mad at you. He will never be mad at you again, because Jesus has already taken care of that. And so now, you sit and live, and you abide under his love and devotion. And if you never obeyed again, Jesus would still love you and cherish you. If you never pleased him, or even had the desire to please him anymore, he would still love you. Why? Because you are in Christ, Christian. You are covered with the righteousness of Jesus and God sees you as blameless now. He sees you as if you had never sinned and as if you had always obeyed. Think about that. And nothing can change that. And if you sin, and you will, he will forgive you always because you are his child. You belong to him forever. Jesus paid it all. It is 
finished. And that's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that Paul is praying for this church. And you can bet the super apostles did not like that at all. They were all about earning your way. Do more, try harder, pedal faster, sweat it out, and then you might, if you're lucky, get a sip of grace. But grace turns everything upside down, and grace blesses people who don't deserve it, okay? Grace doesn't play by religion's rules at all. And the message of grace is maddening to religious people, to legalists whose view of discipleship is, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. Surely the super apostles did not like what they were hearing in Paul's letter. And they would not like what Brennan Manning said. He said, my life is a witness to vulgar grace, a grace that amazes as it offends. A grace that pays the eager beaver who works all day long the same wages as the grinning drunk who shows up at 10 till 5. A grace that hikes up the robe and runs breakneck toward the prodigal reeking of sin and wraps him up and decides to throw him a party. No ifs, ands, or buts. A grace that raises bloodshot eyes to a dying thief's request. Please remember me and assures him, you bet. A grace that is the pleasure of the Father, fleshed out in the carpenter Messiah, Jesus the Christ, who left his Father's side not for heaven's sake, but for our sakes, yours and mine. This vulgar grace is indiscriminate compassion. It works without asking anything of us. It's not cheap. It's free. And as such will always be a banana peel for the orthodox foot and a fairy tale for the grown-up sensibility. Grace is sufficient even though we huff and puff with all our might to try to find something or someone it cannot cover. Grace is enough. He is enough. Jesus is enough. That's grace. It pays the evil beggar the same wage as the grinning drunk who shows up with just 10 minutes left on the work clock. It hugs and kisses the prodigal and doesn't shame him, but instead throws him a party. And the super apostles were trying to be the gatekeepers at Corinth, trying to be the kingdom monitors who kept the riffraff out. So as Paul concludes his letter and says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all, he's taking one last shot at these false teachers and he's saying, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with the eager beavers and the grinning drunks and the goody two-shoe older brothers and the prodigal younger brothers. Paul is writing to tell a church that can't seem to get its act together that Jesus still loves them and is committed to them. And Paul wants them to get to the end of his letter after having all read all 13 chapters. And he wants them to feel so loved by God that they are willing to follow Jesus. He wants them to get to verse 14 in chapter 13 and feel so loved by God that they are willing to part ways with the super apostles who had invaded their church family. That's why Paul said in chapter 1 verse 15 that he wanted to visit them again so that they might have a second experience of grace. 
Well, what does that mean? When Paul says in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 1.15 that he wants to visit them that they might have a second experience of grace. It means that Paul wanted to show up at Corinth even after he sent off this grace letter and tell them one more time about what? Grace. Why? Because Paul knows that it is impossible to exaggerate the gospel. Paul knows it is impossible to talk too much about grace. Paul knows that hyperbole never applies to God's grace. That's why he keeps pointing them to Jesus. He keeps pointing them to Jesus who is grace incarnate. It was from our call to worship this morning out of John 1. For from his fullness we have all received what? Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace upon grace upon grace. That's the Christian life. That's discipleship. Receiving grace upon grace upon grace. And listen, if for some reason you're tired of grace, tired of hearing the gospel, you know what that means? That means that you are in need of hearing it the most. Listen, Paul knows our propensity to lose our awe and wonder of Jesus. He knows how easy it is for the things of God to become too familiar to the people of God. To where we're like, yeah, grace. Yeah, no grace. Right? Paul knows that we can all just get so used to grace and not be awestruck by Jesus anymore. So Paul wants to pass that awe down to this church by pronouncing a blessing of grace on them as he closes out his letter. He wants to give them their awe back. That's what he's been doing for 13 chapters. Saying, this is who Jesus is. Your mouth should drop open. <gasps> it's why he said this in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Same phrase that he uses here in the last verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul wants the Corinthians to be awestruck that Jesus became poor so that they might become rich. He wants them to keep hearing about grace because Paul knows that we are allergic to grace. Paul knows that our default mode is to revert to religion where we do stuff for God in order to get his approval. If I just do this, if I really stick with my Bible reading plan this year, he's going to love me. He's going to give me a sticker at the end of the year. You already got a sticker. Jesus filled in all the squares, okay? Paul is doing in 2 Corinthians what Robert Capon said. I think good preachers should be like bad kids. They ought to be naughty enough to tiptoe up on dozing congregations, steal their bottles of religion pills, and flush them all down the drain. The church by and large, has drugged itself into thinking that proper human behavior is the key to its relationship with God. What preachers need to do is force it to go cold turkey with nothing but the word of the cross and then be brave enough to stick around while the congregation goes through the inevitable withdrawal symptoms. That's what Paul's doing with this letter. He sent this letter off to this church and he wanted to visit the Corinthians so that he could flush their religion pills down the toilet 
and make them go cold turkey with nothing but the word of the cross. And that's what we want to do today. Flush your religion pills down the toilet. We don't want to hear, just do a little bit more. Try it a little bit harder. Work yourself to death. We want to hear grace, don't we? And grace whispers, I love you, I forgive you, and you are mine. And here's the application to hearing about grace all the time. Here's the application to hearing the whisper of grace all the time. The more grace we have in our hearts, then the less things and people will get under our skin. The more grace we have in our hearts, the less people will get under our skin. Man, that's convicting. I have to say that. Because people get under my skin all the time, which is just proof that I don't have enough grace in my heart, which is proof that I need to hear more about God's grace. You'll be growing in grace when there's grace in your heart so much that people don't get under your skin. As we listen to the whisper of grace, we will repent quicker. We will forgive deeper. And we will love louder. That's what your family needs. That's what your friends need this year. That's what your coworkers need. It's for grace to get deeper into the nooks and crannies of your heart so that you repent quicker and you forgive deeper and you love louder. And that's why we constantly need to hear about grace because grace actually transforms us. So if you're bored with hearing so much about God's grace, there's only one antidote. You know it, more of God's grace. And when you hear more about God's grace to you in Christ, you'll start praying things like this. Jesus, please make me 10 times more aware of my own sin than the sin of others. And make me 100 times more aware of your grace than my sin. And cause me to be more aware of my own sins than I am shocked and angered by anyone else's sins. And cause me to be more grateful for grace than anyone. That's a New Year's resolution right there. Make me more grateful for grace than anyone. That's what hearing about God's grace will do to your heart. But maybe you don't believe that grace is as good as it is. Maybe you don't believe that Jesus is as good as he says he is. Maybe you don't understand grace at all. I've shared this before and I try to share it at least once a year. But here's how you can tell whether you understand grace or not. If any of these resonate with you, it's a sign that you don't understand grace. If you live with this kind of vague, nagging sense of God's disapproval, anybody feel like that? There's kind of this vague, nagging sense of God's disapproval of you in your life. If that's you, then you don't understand grace. If you think God is always frowning at you, if you think he's a grumpy dad, if you think that he's always frustrated with you, upset with you, always mad at you, If you think you always let him down, then you don't understand grace. If you feel sheepish bringing your needs before him when you've just failed him, then you don't understand grace. So let's say you blew it and you went and did that sin that you've repented of 10,000 times now. And now you think, I can't go to him now. I can't talk to them now. You think, I need to be put in a 
time out or something. Or there needs to be this probationary period, like maybe three hours from that sin to the moment that I go and talk to Jesus. I can't just like come to him now because I just did that thing. If that's you, then you don't understand grace. If you feel you deserve an answer to prayer because of your hard work and sacrifice, then you don't understand grace. So you get up and you pray for two hours every morning and you read Leviticus in one sitting and you enjoy it and you serve at church and you hand out tracts at Disneyland on your vacation. You do so much for God so he owes you big time. If that's you, you don't understand grace. Sorry, not sorry. If you assume that you've, used, you've sinned so many times that you've used up all your credit of forgiveness, then you don't understand grace. Let's say you've sinned your sin, the one that you're good at, the one that you've done over and over and over, and you told God you would never do it again, but you did it again, no surprise. And so you start thinking, there's no way that God can forgive me. I've used up all of my credit. If that's you, then you don't understand grace. If you feel more confident before God, if you've been faithful with your quiet times, prayer, witnessing, then you don't understand grace. I mean, you, you, maybe you think, surely you should get a speed pass right to the throne of grace, not because of Jesus' performance, but because of your performance, because of what you do for God. You've been so faithful, so now you have such confidence before God because of what you've done. If that's you, sorry, friend, but you do not understand grace. If you can't honestly say that you see yourself as blameless in God's eyes, then you don't understand grace. Maybe you feel dirty. You don't feel clean you feel like when God looks at you, all he sees is just this dirty, grungy person and not someone who is resting safely in Christ. If that's you, then you don't understand grace because you are clean. Maybe you struggle with this one. I do. If you fear that the day may not go as well as expected because you missed your quiet time, then you don't understand grace. Anybody struggle with that? Let's say you oversleep, you're running late for work, you don't have time to pray, you don't have time to read the word of God, and now you think your whole day is going to be ruined. Whole world's going to fall apart, right? A new variant of the coronavirus is going to come out because you didn't have your quiet time. Car's going to break down, you're going to lose your job. Anybody else feel like this? Anybody feel like if I just read a verse, then, ha, huh, anybody feel like that? Like, I have to read a verse before I leave the house. All because of what you didn't do? If that's you, you don't understand grace like me. If you assume that you can do something to make God love you more or less, then you don't understand grace. If you think that you can do something to make God love you anymore, and if you mess up, then his love is going to start to diminish a little, then you don't understand grace. That's why Paul has been writing about grace, and it's why he ends his letter with the blessing of grace, because the Corinthians didn't understand grace, and they needed a refresher. 
the Corinthians needed a crash course in grace again. They needed to relearn that grace is the shocking declaration that God has done it all without any human help whatsoever. In other words, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Grace is the astonishing announcement that God is not keeping scorecards on our performance anymore. I'm going to say that again. It should make you smile and relax and rejoice. Grace is the astonishing announcement that God is not keeping scorecards on your performance anymore. He's not up there like January 12th. Didn't read Bible. January 13th, didn't read Bible. January 14th, didn't read Bible. January 15th, gave up in despair. Oh, May 1st, picked up the Bible again with new determination to read the Bible this year. May 2nd, didn't read the Bible. May 3rd, didn't read the Bible. Grace is the astonishing announcement that God is not keeping scorecards on your performance anymore. Grace is the end of browbeating people into thinking that There is some standard they must uphold to be worthy of God's love. Grace is shocking and scandalous, but it's what makes the gospel good news. And in the end, grace is really a person. In the end, grace is just Jesus. So when Paul prays, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all, he's just praying that they experience Jesus again. He's praying that they experience the gracious heart of their Savior. And so that means if you resist grace, then you're resisting Jesus. And if you don't understand grace, then you don't understand Jesus. Chad Bird says, grace is karma's worst nightmare. We get the exact opposite of what we deserve. Grace doesn't sit cross-armed behind its desk and you from across the room when you blush to confess your darkest secrets. Grace wraps its arms around your quaking body and lets your tears and snot drench its shoulders as it whispers, I love you, I forgive you, you're mine. Grace is Jesus He's whispering this to you today. I love you. I forgive you. You are mine. Let's pray.